Thanks to Indeed for sponsoring the Apple Bits XL. Indeed knows hiring needs to be cost-effective when you're running your own business. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we've been swimming deep with the Apple Vision Pro, but this week we're going to talk about everything from the iPhone 16 models, iOS 18, generative AI and what that means for Apple this year. Also, some OLED stuff. And yeah, we'll touch upon Vision Pro just towards the end of the podcast, but we're going to kind of get out of that headspace and think about what's coming up. So, hey, you know what time it is. Let's get to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Tong here, your host. Doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. Welcome, everybody. It is episode 298 as we creep ever so closer to 300, which is wild. So thank you so much for your support. Yes, we're going to focus on a lot of stuff happening around the iPhone world as well as future products. And then we will just do a little smidgen of the Apple Vision Pro. But first, we've obviously got a couple orders of business. I did get two calls, two voicemails. We're going to put them in next week's show. But if you want to be a part of it, all you got to do is call in, record a voice memo, send it into applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z. Your name, where you're from, what you want to talk about. I know there's plenty on your mind, and I think some other ideas will spark from this week's podcast because there's a lot of juicy stuff happening around AI and Apple as we get closer. What we're it, we're getting towards the end of February. June is coming up, which is WWDC. So there's a lot happening from a development standpoint, and it's going to be really exciting. So send in your voice memos, and we'll put them in the show. Also, this show is brought to you by you. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how you support my content. Thank you so much for allowing me to continue to do this. We start at $2 per month, $5, which is like a cup of coffee, if that's the value that I bring to you. We got the $10, the $25, and the $100 Platinum Apple level. What does it get you? Well, it gets your early access to my content, rewards at different levels, and a completely ad-free version of the podcast. If you subscribe to the Patreon, you don't hear any of this. Plus, we've got our monthly exclusive Zoom live stream, and uh, this might be the last time I tease it, Support my Patreon, and there we are going to do a lottery for one Apple Vision Pro giveaway for all my supporters. It's kind of crazy. Never done anything like that, but it's a way for me to say thank you for your support and allow me to do this now. I think we're in, I guess we're in year six now, which is, I don't know, time flies. Like, that is crazy. So thank you, thank you so much. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong. All right, let's just get right into the show. We're not going to dilly-dally, but we've got to talk about iPhone. We've got some latest reports. This is coming up from a Taiwanese publication, the Economic Daily News, that consistently contributes to the Apple rumor mill and reports mill. And the biggest thing coming out of it right now, we know things are leaning towards what is happening with the iPhone and AI. Finally, we still haven't seen or heard Apple's plan, but in 2024, it is expected to be a central and significant part of what they're doing with their iPhone lineup. So according to this report, the iPhone 16 is rumored to feature a significantly upgraded neural engine to help aid in iOS 18's generative AI features. Now, this upgraded neural engine would help improve performance for AI and machine learning tasks 
We know things around, we're going to get a little bit more detail, but things around Siri and shortcuts and messages and Apple Music are going to be part of this. Tim Cook said on a recent earnings call earlier this month that the company itself was specifically working on generative AI, and they would share the details around that later this year, which would obviously be WWDC 24 in June. Now, the A18 series chips, those would be the new chips expected to debut in the iPhone 16 models, uh, potentially the Pros, and we'll see what happens with the standard models. Uh, But some of the generative AI features could be exclusive to the iPhone 16 models because of a new improved neural engine. So we'll see how the hardware aids the software and how we kind of move forward here. Now, a recent report that just dropped a couple days ago from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman talked about specifically that iOS 17 and iPad OS 8, sorry, iOS 18 and iPad OS 18 will include a slew of new AI features. Apple is training both Siri and the iPhone's built-in spotlight search tool on large language models. So the idea here is to potentially improve the features' abilities to give more complex answers, answer them more accurately, give more specific information. I mean, I think we've always seen that slowly develop, but Apple appears to be leaning in a lot more. And this revamped version of Spotlight could also potentially bring deeper integration with specific functions and features in apps. So it'd be able to drill down a lot more. Now, Apple has also explored AI-powered features, according to the report from Mark Gurman, that will allow users to maybe automatically generate playlists in Apple Music, do things like presentation slides in the Keynote app and other apps that are rumored to get this deeper AI integration in iOS 18 include the health app, messages, numbers, pages, and shortcuts. And there will likely be more. I think, you know, we talked about this in our recent Patreon-exclusive Zoom live stream of how Apple's going to really approach this. And we all know that Apple is trailing from a standpoint of actually implementing big-time AI features that we see. Yeah, sure, there's um, autocorrect, there's predictive typing and things like that. That's that's like basic AI these days. We're talking about actual generative AI to create new content based on prompts, based on questions and queries. And that's where we've seen OpenAI with ChatGPT, how that's been adopted by Microsoft, how Google is pushing out Bard, which is now Genesis, they're calling it Genesis, their own you know, advanced AI prompt-based as well. And so all these companies have shown what they're doing. I think one way that Apple can maybe slide in is people in the tech space and casual um, you know, tech fans or even people that are curious have played with things like chat GPT, but how are they going to make that very easy and understandable and just something that literally something that my mom may or may not use. That's where you got to think about, okay, how is Apple going to do it their way to make these very to use feet, very easy to use AI integration with things that will matter to us uh, in iOS 18. We also know that Apple, right? Just their privacy policy and just what type of data they use has limited Siri from being as advanced and as deeply capable as other companies. Google's going to do whatever they want, right? 
open AI, they're doing what they want. I'm not saying that they're being frivolous, but to a certain degree, I mean, we are giving so much of our data and information and access to basically everything we say and do that goes to their servers, then gets processed, helps their machine learning and helps their algorithms get better. They can do a lot more than Apple can. And so the idea and the thinking is that, yes, Apple will do all their own processing on device, but to what extent? And you also have to think about all these years that Google and OpenAI have been at this, this would be Apple's first public-facing presentation. No matter what, the stuff that they are probably showing is most likely going to be behind from a technical standpoint of what OpenAI already has and what Google already has. But we've seen this before in so many ways. Apple comes later to the party, but how do they implement it for the consumer? And then, yes, they will lean into it and it will get better. Remember, this was, oh man, does it feel like, four or five years ago, where Apple poached and hired um, John Andrea, I believe that was his name. And um, I, you know, I'm like just pulling it from my head from, from the past, but he was like the AI lead over at Google and he's been over at Apple. And, you know, I thought that maybe we'd see something from him and the team and an evolution of a really improved Siri, maybe in three years, knowing that, you know, you kind of got to strip it down and rebuild it. But Siri has ultimately really stayed roughly the same. It's just not nearly as good as nearly as advanced. I think we just were able to get multiple timers on Siri roughly, I think, a year ago now. It might be a year and a half. But, I mean, that that literally just kind of recently happened. So it'll be interesting to see how Apple pushes this out. Uh, there's been a directive even from Craig Federighi to roll out as many AI features as possible and integrate them into as many apps for the upcoming iOS 18 release. So will this be arguably one of the biggest iOS updates we've ever seen? If they're pulling off what we believe they're hoping to do with generative AI, um, and if every aspect of the OS is going to be touched by this, arguably, uh, yeah, it could be. Also, we might even see some design changes if you look at what you know Vision OS is doing with a lot of transparencies and these this like opaque glass look. My assumption or hunch is that we might start seeing some of that that translucent translucent um, windows and behaviors that we see in Vision OS coming to iOS and iPad OS. So we'll keep our eyes peeled. But I'm going to tell you one thing that you all should really keep your eyes on when we're talking about generative AI, right? This is related to the greater tech world at whole. OpenAI, right? The creators of the chat GPT tool just, and I mean just within the past, I believe 24 hours, released Sora and showcased it to the public. Now, what is Sora? Sora is going to allow you to create realistic, basically, videos and they're saying imaginative scenes from text instructions. So basically, you're going to put in a prompt and ask it to see something, and it's generating videos that are response to this. And these videos are some of the craziest videos I have seen that on first glance do not even remotely look like AI is involved. Uh, I need you to go check out while you're listening, even if you need to pause this, openai.com slash Sora. That's spelled S-O-R-A. 
Their first prompt is a stylish woman walks down the Tokyo street filled with warm glowing neon um, and animated signage. She wears a black leather jacket, a long red dress and black boots. This is just the first example. And I said, holy shit. If you know what I mean, I don't need really. It's, it's blowing your mind of what is happening in the generative AI space, specifically to video. It's amazing. It's concerning. It's incredible. It's worrisome. Uh, you know, for me, look, I'm leaning into the fact that, yes, AI is going to be important. Like, let's not turn our back on AI, but for, AI, but for me, I'm going to make sure that all the videos that I made are handcrafted by a human. Like, I think there is a type of touch and a feel that you'll always feel. But the results from what this, what Sora is becoming and can be is incredible. Another prompt was historical footage of California during the gold rush. So there's basically like an old shanty type town that you can imagine from that era. The video quality itself has like a grain and an aged look to it. There's horses. There's like, oh, like a small river running through the town. It's incredible. It's incredible. Another prompt is a uh, camera follows behind a white vintage SUV through like the hills. And if someone showed you this, just said, hey, check out this video. I'm sorry, I would not, off the, on, the, on the fly, just kind of said, hand it over their phone and show it to me. I would not know that this is AI generated. I really wouldn't. And so there are examples where it doesn't get everything right and they're, they're talking about that, but just to see what it's capable of. Also, the camera moves are very cinematic and polished. Like it feels like some of these camera moves are are clearly look and feel human made. So when we talk about generative AI and how it's evolving and how it's getting better and better, and where does Apple stand with this and how they're going to implement it, just look at openai.com/sora. That's S O R A, and prepare for your minds to be blown because. You know, I remember when we saw some of the first generative AI videos and it was kind of blurring off. There's like a beer commercial, and but you you saw kind of the the foundation of ooh, this this could get better and is already looking from a just a fundamental standpoint really good already, but give it a couple years or so, it's gonna get even better. I think what we just are seeing from open AI looks better than I expected at this point. Like it's freaky, crazy advanced and good. So just keep your eyes out on that. Also, we're talking about AI. Apple themselves internally, according to Bloomberg, is developing an AI tool to help developers write code for apps. So this would be an updated version of Xcode that would likely be launching sometime in 2024. That's going to include an AI tool to generate code. Um, it's similar to GitHub's Copilot from Microsoft that can generate code based on either natural language requests and then convert that code from one programming language to another. So this Xcode AI tool will be able to do similar things like predict and finish blocks of code. So this is going to allow app developers to be more efficient, streamline their app creation process, and fill in some of the tedious stuff that they do. And we could see this released as early as this year. Um, Apple's also testing AI-generated code for testing apps. And some of their engineers internally are trying these features out as well. So again, the theme here in 2024, right? I think last year was a year where AI started to become more tangible in how it's how the consumer sees it and how the consumer can use it because 
to be honest, AI has been working behind the scenes for her like over a decade, but now we're starting to see this idea of generative AI creating content. What we've had before is predictive AI that could pull from trends or patterns or information and then help deliver suggestions or guidance, whether it's business, even whether it's typing. But now generative AI is entering in a prompter description and getting a generated computer result that can aid in the creation process. Uh, we've seen, pay attention to what Adobe is doing with their generative AI uh, to fill space, fill like extra space around an image, uh, sky replacements, just also generative AI prompts. It it It's only been, I think a year since Adobe kind of first showed off their first generative AI stuff and it's already getting significantly better there. So uh, I would just say, Buckle up, like we are in a very, very, very exciting time. Now, if we're talking about apps, just wanted to mention this story. Microsoft is not planning on releasing their Xbox Cloud gaming app for iOS because there's just not enough room for monetization. So we've heard this criticism from Apple of how doing any type of third-party app store doesn't jive with them. And then Apple still wanting roughly a 30% cut of all sales for anything connected to their app store. So we know that the European Union just recently put down, you know, officially made it uh, basically illegal or against the law to just for Apple just to keep their walled garden and not let any competition in. This is specifically in the European Union. So this is their Digital Markets Act and it requires Apple to allow alternative app marketplaces and alternative payment methods and Apple is allowing this, but Apple is also requiring developers who opt in to use this alternative app marketplace to agree to some new business terms. And one of them includes a core development fee of 0.50 euros per user. So we already know companies like Spotify and Epic Games have been in long-standing battles and have criticized Apple publicly for their implementation of the Digital Markets Act and how Apple has you know, created what they believe in to a certain degree. I mean, I do agree. Look, Apple built the App Store, but do they really need to be taking thirty a 30% cut this deep into the game? I don't think so. I mean, that's hurt small developers. They're giving breaks to longtime larger scale developers where we've heard they've reduced that fee to somewhere around 20%, maybe 15%. But ultimately, Xbox came out on the record. Microsoft's gaming CEO, Phil Spencer, said in an interview with The Verge that that monetization was an issue and even the European Union's Digital Markets Acts forcing Apple to basically open up does not go far enough to open up the competition. So they're not going to jump on board. And it's just a reminder of how developers and services and Apple's walled garden that is part of their DNA and they have been more open over the years is still ultimately the end hurting us, the consumers who want to be able to do everything possible and do anything on our platforms. We've seen this carry over to the Vision OS platform for Apple Vision Pro, where a lot of developers did not get on board, right? Things like Netflix, Spotify, YouTube, WhatsApp, core services don't have native apps on Vision OS. And Part of that might be because of the Rocky relationship. Part of that might be uh, also, look, Vision OS does not have nearly the same user base, but they they could have just flipped a switch and allowed their iPad apps to be on Vision OS. They even deliberately opted out of that. 
Now, if they are releasing a Vision OS native app that they're working on that they want a better experience, I get that as well. But someone like YouTube dropped the ball. You know, um, a gentleman by name of Christian Selig made this app called Juno, which is a YouTube app, but you can use it to watch YouTube and it works great. And it's like $4.99. After the response to that, YouTube reportedly, not reportedly, but did go on the record and say, oh, uh, we do have a YouTube native app for Vision OS on the roadmap. But there's a difference between saying something's on the roadmap versus actually being in development actively. That's that's not happening right now. So, uh, you know, developer relationships with Apple continues to be more strained and quite honestly, we're the ones that are suffering from that. If you also want to talk about iPhone 16 because we kind of went through iOS 18 and some of the new hardware, the first iPhone 16 component leak is revealing a redesigned camera chassis. Now, this is bringing the two cameras in a vertical line next to each other. So then for the iPhone 16, right? Not the 16 Pro, but you have those two cameras no longer diagonal from each other, but stacked one on top of the other. So then this, the assumption and the thinking is when you turn it sideways, then you'll be able to record spatial video from the new standard iPhone 16 lineup, which makes sense. So the camera chassis that holds these two cameras also corresponds to that those rumors and leaks like we actually have a physical part that supports that okay they're going to be stacked on top similar to back in the day with the uh i bet what is it iphone 8 is when they were just like just two of them or i sorry iphone 10 my goodness my brain my brain iphone 10 completely stacked on top of each other so that's expected but i think the most to me the most exciting thing happening around the iphone 16 Pro specifically is this whole rumor of this capture button that will have some level of mechanical use or force sensing technology where you can half press it to focus, long press, hard press it to take a picture, potentially scroll your finger on it left and right to zoom in to an image. So it's like a a physical working button. That's to me might be one of the most exciting things because we know the power of these cameras, but to make it feel more camera like and have some of that capability uh, to me, that, that's a pretty amazing kind of quote unquote. I don't want to do you say it, but is it arguably a game changing feature for me? It would allow my, how many times have I jokingly said, Oh, our cameras are our phones. It's not our phones. Was it our phones are our cameras? Yes. Sorry. And our cameras are basically our phones, right? What's the, what's the number thing that kind of number one thing that sticks out when you talk about a phone these days, how's your camera? What's it like? And that experience will be enhanced because of that. So We'll see how it plays out, but iPhone 16 Pro, I'm actually excited for it this year. Yeah, change will be roughly incremental, but if you're talking about iOS 18, new AI features, and a new camera capture button that acts like a camera button with a half press for focus and then a full press to hit the shutter, that's that that sounds nice to me. As, and someone who's on a 11, 12, or 13, or 14, or I, I'm, I'm probably going to say, okay... Now this would be a nice time to make the jump with everything from the processor and everything I said. So we'll see what happens. All right, everybody. Hey, let's take a breather to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Indeed. You know, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 
If you need a hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And something that I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy with Indeed's hiring platform. Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. We get you one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates. And listeners of this show, We'll get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs and more visibility at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Just go to Indeed.com slash AppleBits right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. Visit Indeed.com slash AppleBits to start hiring now. All right. So we know that Apple is slowly but surely transitioning over to OLED displays across arguably all their products. We know that there's an OLED display in the iPhones. Um, Samsung is now joining the OLED MacBook push, which is expected to be sometime in 2027, according to Korea's The Elec, which is a news outlet there. So Apple plans to switch the MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air from its current mini LED and LCD display technology to OLED. We've known this rumor for several years, but this transition is happening because the latest report says that Samsung is currently assembling an eighth generation OLED panel production line focused specifically to help supply Apple with OLED displays for the future and future MacBook models and panels from this production line will not reach the new MacBook models until 2020. Seven. Now, we've heard plenty of rumors that we're expecting to see new OLED displays uh, on the new iPad Pro models that are rumored to be potentially coming out sometime in maybe March or April. Then look towards OLEDs in the 16-inch MacBook Pros in 2025 before then giving us 14-inch MacBook Pro, 13-inch and 15-inch MacBook Airs, iPad Airs. Like, There's so many products that are just expected to get a new display that will get upgraded over time. And so the Alex report seems to suggest suggest that the panels from this new production line will not be used in this first wave of OLED MacBooks in 2025, but instead in 2027, that's when we'll start seeing more of this activity. And even something like the iPad Air, which normally will not get the latest tech right out of the gates, that could also get an OLED display sometime in 2027. But OLED is coming and, you know, the benefits, you get increased brightness, higher contrast ratio, better color accuracy, deeper blacks, lower power consumption compared to everything from LCD models compared to mini OLED, sorry, mini LED models. OLED's also thinner and lighter than LCDs. So the benefits are across the board. Uh, If you're a TV junkie and a display junkie, you're you're drooling about OLED, but this is a transition that's going to happen. And we're 
we're expecting to see some of that start happening sometime this year, specifically with the iPad Pro lineup, but we'll wait and see if that happens. Apple's also negotiating with OLED suppliers for next year's iPhone SE4. This is a long rumored phone that, you know, is the entry level, but kind of stripped down version or includes features from previous versions of iPhones. The SE is expected to include the notch or, you know, the notch on top, not the dynamic island and Samsung display, BOE and Tianma are all said to have entered proposed prices for OLED panels, specifically for the iPhone SE4 expected to launch next year. Uh, Reports say that Samsung has offered the lowest unit price at $30 a pop, but Apple's trying to push them down and push all of the suppliers down closer to $20. So these negotiations are ongoing according to the ELEC. So the iPhone SE 4, fourth generation, is expected to feature a 6.1-inch OLED display, a design pretty much similar to what we see in the iPhone 14. So by the time that comes out next year, we'll be in iPhone 17. So that's, what, four models before that? 17, 16, 15, 14, yeah. So that 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 tracks and lines up. Here's a fun one. We know, we've talked about this over the years so many times that Apple is obviously looking at foldable displays for potential future products. Everyone sees what Samsung has done with the Flip, with the, with the Z Flip and the Z Fold line. And they want Apple to release their own. We've seen all the concepts and the renders. We've seen other manufacturers put out their own foldable. Google has their Pixel Fold, which I love the form factor of that. Um, but foldable iPhone development has allegedly been paused due to failing screens. Now, this is a report coming out of China. And according to Fixed Focus Digital, they are saying that one of the foldables that Apple said had been testing uses a display made by Samsung. And we know Samsung is a major supplier of display panels used in Apple devices, right? They have their own Samsung display division. And they've been known for providing foldable display samples to Apple in the past. So this new report claims that Samsung, in addition to trying to strengthen their operational efficiency, Apple's kind of stringent testing requirements, which typically have been uh, higher standards versus other companies. Samsung's latest folding panels broke down after a few days, according to the report, under Apple's rigorous internal testing, which has now caused Apple to put the entire project on ice for the foreseeable future. And the reason why you would be like, oh, what, Apple's not making a foldable? Well, look, if foldables had completely taken off and Apple is losing a major chunk of market share, clearly they probably would be pursuing this a lot harder. But because they're not, because we obviously know they don't tell us, but they see all the numbers of iPhone upgrades and iPhone adoptions with new models and the upgrade cycles and how consumers are upgrading what roughly now it's more like around two to three years. Well, is the average when you talk about the early quick adopters versus the people that are just hanging out because their phone is perfectly fine for them. If it was urgent, Apple would be leaning into this, but it's not, you know what they're leaning into. They're leaning into Apple Vision Pro more as a new platform. And if they need to, 
they will release a foldable phone. I don't obviously this doesn't mean that the project is scrapped, but it's put on ice. They've got a lot of other things going on and a lot of other priorities to address. And like I've said, look at how robust their product line is. They're they're spread thinner than they have before because they have their hands in so many different pots now. So earlier this month, Korean outlet The Elect reported that Apple was considering launching its first foldable in the next few years in maybe something like a seven to eight inch device that could maybe replace the new 8.3 inch iPad mini. But at least for this foldable phone project where users would right think of it as something like more like a, a Z flip phone, the clamshell small phone that folds in half, um, the current displays were not able to pass Apple's high durability requirements that they expect. And so they're taking a break, taking a break. All right, I don't know if you saw this video. We're going to transition over to a few stories about Apple Vision Pro before we wrap up. But uh, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg posted a Instagram video of why he thinks Meta's headset is better than Apple's. And I jokingly posted on my IG, I'm like, hashtag ad or like hashtag Meta partner because he's the CEO. It's like it's like a parent doting about their own child, quite honestly. But it was interesting to see. And according to Zuckerberg, you know, for him, the Quest 3 is better for, in his words, the vast majority of things that people used mixed reality for. So here were some of his points. And I agree with some. And obviously some are like, eh, maybe. So to him, it's seven times less expensive than the Vision Pro. Fact. <laughs> 100% fact. Um, the Meta Quest 3 is $500. Apple Vision Pro starts at um $3,499 before tax. He says it does high-quality pass-through with big screens just like Vision Pro. Uh, I will say Vision Pro's pass-through is better, not leaps and bounds better, but it is it is slightly better than Quest. And this is one of the things that I talked about where I was surprised I had forgot because um, a lot of consumers aren't used to VR. They thought the pass-through would be just like looking exactly through their regular eyes, but this is a video feed getting sent to us. Um, Quest's video pass-through is not as... It's just not. It's a little grainier. It's a little darker, but there you go. He argues Quest is a lot more comfortable. It's 120 grams less. It is. And also with their elite band that distributes the weight more evenly, it feels even lighter. I could genuinely wear Quest 3 longer than Apple Vision Pro comfortably because of that elite band. I have the Quest 3. I own one, um, and it's a great product. There are no wires to get in the way when you move around. Um, okay, I mean, that's that's kind of the same. Oh, he's talking about the battery being connected. True. I mean, Apple's experience is more of a sit-down. You're not walking around. So I'll tell you, the experience has been so good that I don't... I just The battery's on the side. I don't really think about it. The field of view is wider, and the screen is brighter. Uh, I... Maybe from a technical standpoint, the screen is brighter, but I don't feel like it's that much brighter. Yes, uh, the vision, the Apple has never outright claimed its field of view, but the belief is that Oculus Quest 3, or sorry, Meta Quest 3, I think theirs is at 110 degrees, is wider than Apple's, but also Apple's light seal system, depending on the sizing you get and the distance it is from your eyes, it the field of view can actually be a little bigger depending on what light seal you actually get and the distance the lenses are from, or the screen is from your eyes. He says, Vision Pro has motion blur when you move around. Quest is a lot crisper. Here's the thing. 
Um, when I move around in Quest, because of the latency, I get sick pretty fast in the virtual worlds. Apple's taking a different approach. They're using more mixed reality, so you see the world around you. The latency is less. Um, so I don't actually... Whenever I'm in a headset, I'm not trying to move my head around super fast. Otherwise, I'm automatically going to get sick. And Apple's kind of really lean into keeping you grounded in the real world to some sense where when you're completely engrossed and immersed in a full VR environment where you don't see the world at all and you walk around or have to move in it, I tend to get more motion sickness. I have not gotten motion sick in the Apple Vision Pro at all yet. I still get motion sickness in the Quest VR, but that's more the nature of the games and experience. And Apple's kind of really deliberately avoiding those type of experiences. Quest's immersive content library is a lot deeper. Yes, 100% agree. They have more experiences. They have more games. Uh, the video quality, though, when you watch a movie, it's not even close. The spatial audio is not even close. So from an experience standpoint, um, if we're talking about video, like, yes, the content library is more is deeper, but the actual quality of it, not as deep. You can watch YouTube or play Xbox on the Quest 3. Yes, you can. You can watch YouTube through a third-party app. You cannot play Xbox. Well, you can play. There are ways around to play an Xbox, but it's not like a dedicated app that you just launch and do right away from Microsoft. So there you go. So Zuckerberg, you know, making some points. I will say no matter what, you know, he. I think he even talked about like, oh, we have hand tracking as well. The Quest hand tracking is trash, guys and gals. It is not nearly as accurate. You're like... You're, you're, it does no eye tracking. The hand tracking is shaky. It's not good. But the controllers in the VR gaming experience, the Quest 3 is the best consumer gaming experience, hands down. That's a VR gaming experience. Let me say that. VR gaming experience, hands down. It is amazing. And there's continuously, they have such a robust ecosystem of content. You're going to find things that you love and like. And we'll wait to see when does Beat Saber come over to Apple Vision Pro? When does Super Hot and all these other games? And how will that be different? Because we don't have controllers for Apple Vision Pro, at least VR type controllers. We can use gaming controllers to play games on a big screen, but not immersive controllers yet. So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, obviously, I think the Apple Vision Pro, like I said before it came out, would generate more interest in the space. And I've got to imagine that Quest has sold, Meta has sold some, has a little bump up in selling units because of this. But overall, we're not seeing droves and droves of people going out to buy a $3,499 device starting before tax, before accessories. We just aren't. But everyone that has tried it has said the experience is incredible. And if you haven't, I've said in my review, go get the demo. Get the demo in person. And then just you'll have you'll have really a really good sense of like, okay, this is wild. Two other quick stories. Premium airline beyond to offer passengers Apple Vision Pro headsets. Now, I did a video. I haven't edited it because I did have some technical difficulties and I had to actually go back on a plane to get more content. So hopefully I'll get that out in the next week. But to me, one of the killer apps for Apple Vision Pro is using it on a plane, hands down. It is freaking amazing. You know, you're you're used to sitting in coach in these smaller conf confined spaces and it feels like your world opens up. You can put app windows everywhere. I can take my laptop out. I can use and edit video on this massive display in an airplane at high fidelity, low latency. It's incredible. But Premium Airline Beyond is looking to offer Apple Vision Pro headsets. Here's the thing, okay. 
they're going to offer these devices to passengers on its flights to the Maldives, um, where the airline is based. They said that uh, not only will transform in-flight entertainment experiences, but the whole idea is to, oh, give them a preview of like where they're going and have it connected that way. I'm like, okay, but it's not going to have all the movies I want downloaded. It's not going to have all my apps. So Apple Vision Pro is cool, but quite honestly, it's better when it's your own that's fully loaded. It's, I guess it's a nice perk, but um, yeah, it's it's a it's a luxury. It's a, hey, if an airline is offering that, it's pretty luxury. So they're going to offer groundbreaking content experiences beginning in July of 2024. And it'll say like it'll debut in flights from Milan, Dubai, and Bangkok to the Maldives in mid 2024, with their all lay flat seating configuration. Okay, that sounds really nice, really nice. And then finally, TikTok. YouTube doesn't have an app. TikTok releases a Vision Pro app with their own viewing experience. I played around with it. It is just as addictive as as TikTok as you expect it to be, but now it floats in a window that you can put anywhere in your house, and you can see comments side-by-side with the feed. You can search. You can do everything you expect to, but um, it's fun. TikTok is officially an app on the Vision Pro, not a third-party one, not done through website. It has its own dedicated app. So Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Netflix, Spotify, WhatsApp, come on in. Join the party or not, but... You know, I don't I haven't heard anyone that said I'm not getting a Vision Pro because Facebook and Instagram aren't on it. Because I think the experience is just so wild. You like you're you're not even thinking about that, but it's obviously the price and it's obviously the comfort. There was even a report this I I guess I could call it a report where The Verge said people are returning their Apple Vision Pros and guess what? People are returning them. But they made this article as if it was like this huge widespread trend. They did not offer any type of return numbers whatsoever, but they pulled three tweets on on social media from different people who said they were returning them. I'm sorry, but that's not enough anecdotal data to be like, everyone is returning their Apple Vision Pro. There are definitely people returning it. I'm not even trying to be like, no, no, no one's returning it. Yes, but to base a report on basically two or three social media posts, and one of the social people that tweeted was from their own company, was from The Verge. I was like, damn, is this, is, this, is this what reporting is becoming these days? Like, sheesh. But anyways, if you return yours, I get it. It's probably not comfortable enough for you, but I will tell you that over time, you, you kind of start building like stronger cheek muscles, and the whole experience is so specific to how your face is shaped, um, the, the size of your head, the comfort and you know even how it works with if you have a prescription or not um this is this is a lot of variables that will maybe you know and the price obviously but there's so many variables of if this is going to be the perfect experience for you and a lot of people in my review said they felt like the apple vision pro just fit me perfectly my persona looked so good and everything i showed off just looked like it was working like a charm and Maybe it was for me. I, I did not get any special treatment version. It was just the same model that everyone else gets in a box. So, um, And that model that I used for my review is being returned, and I did buy one because, obviously, I'm going to follow the journey of this product for as long as it goes. And my, my hunch is that we are not going to see a new physical Apple Vision Pro 
until either the end of 2025, but to me, more likely uh, 2026. I feel like this is a product. They definitely don't need to upgrade it in a year. If anything, give it at least two full years, which means we're moving into year three. So I could be wrong. I literally have no information about that, but that's what it feels like with the power and the processing of the M2 and what it can do today right now. And there's so many more features they need to and can unlock like multiple displays from a Mac instead of just one single display. That's something they can easily do. And so we'll see what happens. More app developers get on board. More experiences come out. I think year two is going to be insane. And then also year one, just like they kind of trickle out upgrades Um, not color changes, but the iPhone is a year-round product where we hear about it every two or three months. There's always something new around it, whether it's a software update, you got WWDC, you got a new phone in September, you got a new color uh, at the six-month mark. There's always something happening around iPhone and they're gonna absolutely do something similar where there's always something happening every month or every few months around Apple Vision Pro just to keep it relevant. New experiences, new immersive video, new movies, new partners, uh, and the sporting experiences are just off the charts on this thing. It's it's crazy. Check out, go check out the MLB app and uh, check out the golf, the PGA Tour golf app. They aren't fully running, but they're giving you previews and tech demos of what their apps are going to look like. And I can't wait to see what the MLS app is going to be on Apple Vision Pro whenever they release it. That's That's going to be bonkers as well. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Before we roll out of here, hey, we got to give our big thanks to our Patreon supporters at the $100 Platinum Apple level. Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frader, Jarrett Lewis, Michael Gigliotti, Atari Koenigsegg, and Gregory Ford. Thank you all so much for your amazing support. And thank you to all of you who continue to allow me to do this. And it's an amazing ride. And we're almost getting to 300 freaking episodes of the podcast. And all my content. If you didn't see, I think I pumped out like over two hours of Vision Pro content in like in like five or six days. So I honestly, I kind of burned myself out. So I needed a little recovery, but I have more content non-Vision Pro coming out. Someone's like, you put out seven videos in a row. I'm like, well, that's what was hot. And don't worry, you're going to get other stuff, TVs, gaming. So just, you know, you know how it is. Just check it all out. So that's going to do it for this week, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. It's the Apple Bits XL, baby. Peace. Peace.